On behalf of the founders of Ingle Magazine, the esteemed David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard, welcoming you to episode three of the Ingle Radio Podcast. As the most recent addition to the family here at Ingle, I tout myself as the representative of the layman perspective. Hutch and Woody are so consumed by this world of goaltending, I honestly feel there are times where I have to step up and ask them the dumb question, just to clarify an acronym or a phrase. I honestly used to think I knew a lot about goaltending. Then I started spending time in their world. Episode three is an excellent example of what I mean by that, the how they know people and what they know about goaltending. Today, we bring you a pair of interviews, one with the pro services manager from an equipment company, Brian's, and the other is with a top prospect turned present-day Canucks netminder. Chris Joswiak and Thatcher Demko have known each other for years, but we decided to do the interviews separately, and the result offers a unique look inside what is often a close relationship in hockey, that being the one between the pro rep and an athlete. The way they talk about each other or their respective journeys will take you inside the game. I know the name Thatcher Demko, probably like most of you, in that he's been long thought of as the future guardian of the Canucks crease. He's carried a high profile in the game for a few years now. But after his conversation with Kevin Woodley, I admit the Thatcher Demko I knew of is not even close to the Thatcher Demko I am now fascinated by and rooting for. Now, because I've spent a career part of the mainstream media, I feel very qualified to say this. And this interview is the one that everyone would like to have. There is intricate goalie stuff in here, but also wide-ranging conversation about the pressures of being an athlete. Netminder or not, I think you're going to enjoy this. Here is the first goaltender to win his first two starts as a Canuck. In conversation with In Goal Radio's Kevin Woodley. Okay, so we're here with Thatcher Demko, the Vancouver Canucks. Um, been a Vancouver Canuck for a while, but just now getting a chance to be up here on a full-time basis. And I guess maybe let's start with um, right now and what this has been like. The this first game, then the like, what changes from last year to this year in terms of having the first one under your belt? Are there less nerves heading out there in front of the home crowd this time than there was last time? I don't think so. Maybe a little bit, just because last year was my debut. Um, but I think, you know, this year I have a lot to prove, you know, they made some moves and, you know, got me in, uh, to be a part of the team, you know, full time and give me a, an extended look here. So obviously a lot to prove still, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I know it's going to be a lot of work and I've been working for a while and, uh, work's kind of just starting now. So I'm excited, excited for the opportunity and, um, it's been a blast so far. What about the nerves? Like, just I mean, I think everyone who has never been at this level wonders what it's like. It's crazy to go out there in front of twenty thousand fans. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it's not just the people in the building too. You know, everyone's watching. The whole city's watching. You know, every broadcaster or sports anchor, whatever. At the end of the day, it's it's something that you know. I want to step back and 
you know, take a look from the outside and, and just say, all right, who are you actually playing for here? And, you know, you're playing for the city of Vancouver. You're playing for, you know, all the Vancouver fans. And you're playing for the guys in the room. So um, when you look at it that way, it's maybe a little bit smaller of a crowd. Taking a step back and, and realizing, you know, who's important. Now, it's also your first year with Ian Clark. Now, I go way back with Ian, so I got an idea what he's like. But this is, this is another voice. I think, you know, what, three voices, maybe four if you count AHL guys in, in, you know, in a few years as a pro. What's that process like when your goalie coaches change that often? And what sort of maybe sets Ian apart and maybe makes you think this could be an easy transition? There has been a bit of a goalie coach carousel, as you'd like to call it, here the last couple of years. But... I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, getting guys that all of them have, you know, contributed tons to my game too. So everyone from, from my first year, Rolly Melanson and, you know, Dan Cloutier has been with me since I was drafted. And then they brought Curtis Sanford on last year. Um, all those guys have been great. But, you know, Ian definitely thinks the game is a little bit different. Um, he He's able to, you know, conceptualize everything and, and put it into terms and and, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this, but the why, why are you doing this um, as opposed to, you know, just telling you to go do something. So I think in camp, it was a bit of a transition, just trying to understand how our personalities were going to work. And I think I figured that out. I think he now is getting to know me a little bit better. But the, the thing that I like with, with Clark is there's no excuses and it's all about work. And that's something that's very controllable. You know, it's not like he's asking you to do something out of your control. So... Um, you know, work ethic is, is something that you can demand out of yourself every day. And that's all Ian's asking for. You having those different voices and we've seen it with young goalies over the years. And, and I've talked to goalies in pro, especially when guys get bounced around, maybe off waivers as they get older in their career, you can run into coaches that want to change your game and you almost sort of have to just to appease them. Um, you know, I, I think the the why is important, understanding why you want to make a change versus just do it my way. Now, you've had experience with this, though, from a young age, different goalie coaches. When you used to talk to me about being in San Diego, growing up, and as I understand it, your dad, when you were on travel teams, would seek out different goalie coaches in different cities. What was that like for you as a younger guy? It was crazy. It was a long, long journey. Um, I didn't have a goalie coach until... I got to the NTDP, a full-time guy where I was like, all right, this is my goalie coach, um, who was Mike Ayers, who eventually moved with me to Boston College. But in San Diego, it was, you know, guy here, guy there, um, YouTube video. YouTube was kind of just starting up. Still, you know, it was I had a few years of my life before the technology boom. So, um, you know, YouTube was kind of just getting going, and we were looking at clips of that of, you know, yoga and mobility and hand-eye coordination work and just everything you could you know possibly find on YouTube um, and then the big thing was I'd go on these trips and we'd go to Michigan to play and I got on the ice with Stan Matwiv from Bandits Goaltending who I ended up going back to a, a handful of times and you know, we still keep in touch and I've been on the ice with him recently um, but you go to Toronto and get on get on the ice with Dave Delecky. And, you know, just a ton of different guys from all over, all over Canada, all over the United States. And um, I think, you know, the first couple times that my dad and I did that, it was more of him driving that. But it kind of showed me, you know, you have to be willing to open up 
your 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 mind to different types of uh, perspectives and interpretations of the game because um, ev- like everyone knows there's not one right way to play the game so if you can pull two things from this guy that you saw in Toronto and then you know pull two things from the guy that you saw when you went to go try out for Shattuck or you know just stuff like that you're gonna eventually you know create a, a more round goaltender and I think, you know, like I said, my dad kind of drove that at first, but I, it's kind of been a part of me ever since, and I think that's a huge reason, you know, I've been able to continue to develop. Now, the learning was not limited to seeing all these different goalie coaches and YouTube. I remember the first time I met you after you were drafted by the Canucks, you telling me about a, I guess, a diary. I don't know if black book's the right word because that's got different implications, yeah. but, you know, how you used to watch Game Center and make notes on goalies around the league, things that they would try, things that they would do, what was successful, what wasn't. Do you still have it? Do you still do that? Do you find yourself studying other guys even at this point? Well, I'll take you back to the way the, the the book started, because it's funny you mention that. Because this summer I was out to dinner in Boston, and my mom texted me a picture of my first ever hockey notebook, which was I was I think thirteen. My yeah thirteen, and I had all my goals written out in this goalie notebook. All my goals, everything I wanted to accomplish this year. I had one year, three year, five year, ten year goals, and. It was, in, I wrote this down when I was 13, which, you know, back then you could pick that up, be like, oh, he's just a silly 13 year old, you know, setting these lofty goals. But I'm not kidding, like, it was almost a timeline of my entire career. No way. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to pull up the picture. I mean, obviously, I was, I didn't really know, you know, I was from San Diego, I didn't know what the American League really was back then. So I didn't really understand that whole situation, that process of, you know, developing down there, which I needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, you know, I want to be a starter at, in 16 AAA, just find a way to do it because uh, we didn't have a AAA team in San Diego. Right. So I was like, I just find a AAA team, figure out a way to become their starter, go play juniors next year. I know you're young, but go do it. And then, you know, go play D1. I want to go play at Boston college. I want to be a starter at Boston college. My first year, freshman year, I want to be a leader. I want to do all this stuff. And it was, I kind of sat back at dinner. I was kind of taken off and I was like, wow, this really, you know, came into existence. Like it really happened this way. And I credit that notebook to the Stamma Twid from Bandit's goaltending because we had, I went to one of his camps and we had a classroom with a, you know, a a mental coach or, or whatever it was. And he, you know, kind of walked us through, you know, what keeping a notebook like that was like and, and what it could do for you. So, I tried it out and I kind of stuck with it. We've seen it. It's funny, Mason. We've seen other guys. Uh, Jeff Glass last year um, talked about working with a mental coach and really setting out goals. He was in the KHL, he wasn't playing in the NHL. And um, really having that in front of him helped him to achieve it. And I think a lot of people look at it and go, come on, like just because you wrote it down doesn't mean it's going to happen. But here we are all these years later and you look back and yeah. there it is. And I, I mean, it's not writing it down and it happening there's a lot of things that happen in between those two things right like you have to do it every day like you can't you know sit sit there on your couch and wonder why you're not you know accomplishing your goals that's how you end up a journalist exactly right right but um i mean i you have to you have to sit back and and i taped those goals on my beer in my bathroom 
And every day I'd brush my teeth and I'd see that. All right, that's what we're doing today. Wow. Yeah, I got to go to school at, you know, 730. I'm pissed about that. But, you know, <laughs> after school, that's what we're doing today. And eventually that year I actually dropped out of public school and transferred into an independent study program so I could skate twice a day and, and more during the week just because there wasn't a ton of ice time available. And one of my goals was to make the NTDP. Um, and I thought I needed to be on the ice more often if I was going to try and do that. So, um, but yeah, you, you got to write them down. I think it helps. And you got to remind yourself every day what you're working towards because it can kind of drift away from you in the, in the heap of life, you know? Wow. Now, what else was in that book? We talked about, you know, notes and, and scouting other goaltenders and looking for trends and tendencies and things that were going on around the league. Were, yes. What were you spotting? What did you add? Add as I got older and um, the game became more mature, as, as did I, um, it turned more of, it wasn't as much of like a, you know, fairy tale book, like, hey, this is what I want to happen or whatever. It turned more into, okay, I'm taking these Two, uh, two or three things, and I'm working on this, these two, th- three things for a week of practice straight. I'm doing these three things. So then I'd, you know, work on those things. And, um, you know, as far as other goalies go, um, I think it can be tough to try and mold yourself around a different guy or, or, or multiple different guys. For me, it was, it was more relatable for me to look at my goalie partner and say, I'm in this league right now, I'm struggling with this, this, and this, and the guy that I'm playing with is treating that situation that way. And the first guy that I really looked at was Alex Lyon, who was my goalie partner in Omaha. So I, I was playing for the Junior Kings, and late October, like right around Halloween, I got called up to go play in Omaha the rest of the year. I was 15, still had braces. And Alex was 19, he was 92. And um, I think I played right around like 10 to 12 games that year. So Alex played a ton of games. And Alex was one of the best goalies in the whole league. So for me as a young kid, I had no idea what junior hockey was to begin with. I just figured this out within the last two years. I, I didn't know the path I was taking. I, I just knew that every day I was at the rink, I'm trying to learn, get better, see what happens. Right From San Diego, I didn't have a ton of knowledge about different ways to go right so I found myself in the USHL at 15 out of nowhere so Alex was a guy that I could look to take notes on I'd go into his video sessions with him and you know I was just able to learn from a more mature goalie he was four years older than me you know so I was that was really the first guy that was able to take a step back and and really learn from obviously I want to play games and stuff but I wasn't in a position to do that and I, I understood that um, and he was a great guy to talk to and, you know, kind of hash it down with. And, and we both developed a ton that year. He was, that was the reason why I ended up – obviously, I went to the NTDP the next year. But at the same time, obviously, that's a great opportunity. But at the same time, I just felt like Alex was the guy in Omaha. And I didn't think, you know, 16-year-old me was going to be able to beat out 20-year-old Alex Lyons. So, so from there, go to the U.S. National Team Development Program yep. and there to Boston College. Yep. Again, all these goals that you've set are being reached. To me, one of the most remarkable things about your college career was the success you had early on 
knowing what that hip was like after you had the surgery we've uh, talked about zero degrees of internal rotation mm-hmm. um you know for lack of a better term i mean playing on one leg well, uh, no, they, were both, they were both both so there you go so yeah torn i mean how did you do that how much how much work went into managing that injury at that time i knew i first knew that i had the impingement um when i was in omaha so i had some hip pain in omaha it was just on my right side. After the season was ended, I went to the doctor back in San Diego, and she was like, yeah, you got impingement, whatever else. So they said, you can try and rehab it. So I've been rehabbing it, rehabbing it, trying to do all this stuff. And uh, after that first year of college, it was pretty blatant, blatantly obvious that I was needing surgery. Both hips were torn at that point, impinged and torn. And it was my draft year. So I couldn't get surgery before the draft because I would have plummeted. But if I had taken it after the draft, I would have been out for half the season the next year. So I really had to make a decision, and um, I ended up not getting the surgery and decided to gut it out for another season. And I ended up, in college, you just play Friday, Saturday games for the most part. Um, So I ended up, I wouldn't practice Sunday or Monday. I could barely walk after the games because I'd play the back-to-back. And then, you know, Saturday night, I'm, I can't really walk very well, whatever. But this is this is one of the best lessons that I, I learned, I think. And I was so mad when that happened. But my end-of-the-year meeting, um, my goalie coach, Mike Ayers. Now, remember, I had him at the end of DP, so we kind of went back. He's been my guy for three years. We're really close, you know. And I, I in my mind, I thought I had just gone through – you know, some of the, it was antagonizing pain. I'm not going to, you know, downplay it. Oh, we've heard, hey, I've talked to NHLers that before they have the surgery, they're literally crawling downstairs. Yeah. I, it's, it's not. It's no joke. So I get into my exit meeting. I just played a full season. My surgery just took place like a month earlier. So I'm still on my crutches. I hobble into the coach's room and Airzy rips me apart. He, he was telling me that, I was playing too much into the hip thing. I let it show too much. Um, whatever, whatever he was saying, right? He's kind of he's laying into me, and I get out of that meeting. I'm I'm pissed. I'm like, this guy's an asshole. Like I I think I called my agent, who was friends with, uh, or he was pretty close with the coaching staff. I'm like, I can't believe this. I called my dad, and like three weeks later, I sat back and I was like, you know what? That's what being a great goalie is, though. Even when you're going through stuff, you can't let everyone know it. Because the way that you portray yourself, whether it's in the locker room or at that time around campus or, you know, on the ice during practice, yeah, I tweaked my hip four times during practice, but get up. Just get up. You'll be fine. You're getting the surgery at the end of the year. You know what I mean? So it's like, in my mind, looking back on that, he wasn't. Re- he knew how bad the hips were. But it wasn't about that, right? It's about the the way that – because I told him at the beginning of my sophomore year, I was like, Erzy, I want to be a leader. I want to become a leader for these – even though there's older guys on the team, I want to learn how to lead regardless of experience or regardless of age or regardless of, you know, how long I've been in the league. Like, I want to be that guy no matter what. Like, I, can you help me do that? And – he never would be like, hey, lead this way. Or, hey, when you get in the room, do this. You with the he would rip me 
or he'd present opportunity for me to to do it and he'd leave it up to me right and it took me years and years and I'm still learning obviously I'm still learning how to do that and um you know I I, I think that's a huge huge part of it and I remember just being so angry at Airsie I'm like here I think this guy's on my side and now exit meetings rip me apart and then the next year I'm you know I, I had my surgery I come back and yeah, my hips didn't feel great all the time. I kind of rushed back. I didn't rush, but I took care of them. But season was kind of starting up, and I hopped right back into the schedule. You know, I didn't really take too many games off. And um, I always looked back on that exit meeting. I was like, doesn't matter. You know, they're healed. There's nothing you can do more. Just play. Who cares? What's that like to get that freedom back in your hips? I think oh, for it was such hopes. a relief. Yeah, I can imagine. Just like I just loved being at the rink. Like I, you know, there were some days, um, my sophomore year when I was just like, Oh God, like, you know, hips are tight today, whatever. But, um, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. And my flexibility was just, I was doing things. I was shocking myself because my groins were flexible the whole time. I just had no idea because I could never get into those positions. Like, right. It often, it often pulls through other parts of that range, you know, all of a sudden, like there's a scramble and I'm, you know, I'm I'm all the way down to the ice, you know, in the splits. And I'm like, I've never been able to do that before. Like, this is awesome. So I was kind of learning how to play with the flexibility. And then I think my, my junior year of college, I might have gotten a little too flexible. Like, I would... I was going to ask. You could you could probably get to a point where you rely on it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't... You can never be too flexible. But I would... Right. I would get into the splits or, you know, reach for pucks when I could easily just push or... So I kind of had to break that habit a little bit, but that sounds like Jonathan Quick early career, right? Like early career, he always had the ability. It's it's it's, it's how late in a sequence do you go to it? Right, right. Yeah. So it was just kind of a a fun thing, you know. Once I got that flexibility back, it was like a whole new style of play for me. Now then, you turn pro. Yeah. Signed with Canucks, turn pro. First season, ups and downs, as oh, expected yeah. as a first year pro. But one of the lessons that you've shared with me in the past that I really want you to share with our listeners, especially young kids, and I feel like we're guilty of it too. We show them all these different things that they can do as a young goaltender to get ready to play, and we, you know, I think sometimes we overload them, and some of them can take each one and add all of it. And next thing you know, they're they're spending half an hour visualizing, they're juggling, they're throwing balls off the wall, they're doing, and all these things can be important. But if you don't know how to manage it, it can be overwhelming. Is that is that what you experienced as your first year in pro? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, got, I was actually thinking the other day, I was kicking myself. I was like, I wish I could go back to college and, um, you know, play, prepare for games like I do now. You know, I, I felt like in college there were some games where I'm like, God, I'm just fighting it. Like, And I finally have been able to pinpoint that. But um, it definitely, for me, you know, like I said earlier, like I just, I've been a guy for a long time that wants to do everything that I can to play well. So you hear these guys talk about visualization, uh, mobility, you know, dynamic warm-ups, the juggling routines, the whatever it is. I see all that information in front of me. I'm like, all right, I got to get to the rink at, you know, 3.45, 4 o'clock so I can fit all this in. And in college, I kind of got away with it. You know, it was whatever. Um, You're also not playing as much in exactly. college. So it's not as daunting. Um, I get to pro and I'm playing a ton of games, you know, kind of going back and forth with Richard Bachman. 
and I'm exhausted like 10 games into the year I'm like what is going on like we got 70 more games like <laughs> what I don't, I don't know if I can do this so I I hit this slump right I'm, I'm kind of well first of all I think I lost my first I don't know you have to look it up but it's four games maybe and I was like oh god like I don't know what was going on so I end up Baki gets called up here I think uh January or was it no, earlier it was a little bit earlier than that he went up or no he pulled his groin is what happened he pulled his groin he's out for three weeks I think it was and I played almost every game and I was able to kind of, you know, play at, play at some things out and, and learn a ton of stuff in that time period. I was playing a little bit better. And then I went back to playing awful again um, when he got back. And I remember talking to, to Baki about it because Baki's a, a pretty um, routine regimented guy. Like he, you know, does the tennis balls and the tracking and, and all this stuff. So it, he's written articles for Ingle Magazine about it, in fact. Yeah, yes. so he's, he's pretty, you know, he's got his routine before the game. And so I'm talking to him about it, and he's like, yeah, like, I, he's dialed in for sure, but he doesn't, like, put that much pressure on himself. It's so relaxed. It's, it's relaxed. We'll call it relaxed pressure. And so I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Like, you know, because I'm, I'm the guy who's dialed on. I'm thinking about the game all day, right? Which, God, like, looking back, like, oh, my God. So I, I remember one game, I think, I think we were playing Wilkes-Barre, actually, who at the time was a really good team. And I told myself, I, I was, I think I lost like five games up to that point. So I'm, I'm getting ready for the Wilkes-Barre game. I show up for the rink and I said to myself, I go, no routine today. Just have a coffee, play some soccer maybe, go out for the game. If you lose, what's the difference between five or six? If you win, maybe we're onto something here. Go out, I think I stopped, you know, 30 shots we won two to one or something and I was like I actually felt really good in that game like I felt so calm and excited to be there and I was like wow let's try it again and then I, I got on this this roll and then at that point um Marky hurt his knee in the skills competition actually yeah and Baki was up here for the rest of the year and so I I played an outrageous amount of games that last as a first months. year pro yeah, yeah. Like we we had three and three weekends where I played all three. I think we had we had six three and three weekends in a row, and there were three or four weekends out of the, that six that I played Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just started them all, and it was fine. I didn't think. I didn't. I just went out. Puck came. I stopped it. Like it was very. It's a very simple thing when you think about it. For me, at least. So. For for me, I've I've learned that you just got to go play, and people always tell you that when I'm growing up, right? Just go out and play. Just go out and play. I'm like, how do you do that? I am going out and playing, but what's stopping me from actually performing well? So no one really tells you, like, just go out and play. Just go out and play. Like, they just keep telling you that, but they don't tell you how to do it. So now before the game, like, where I'm sitting in the tunnel, and I go, play your game, have some fun, turn it off. Turn the mind off. You know, just shut it right off. Then I go out, sing a song in my head maybe. Just keep Same it real. Or does it change? I like My Girl by The Temptations. Keeps me light. Nice. It's a good feel-good song. You know, maybe feel like the sun's shining somewhere. <laughs> not in Vancouver. Well, not, it wasn't in Utica too much, to be honest. But, um, yeah, just enjoy it. And 
I, I force myself to smile. Some of those nights I'm not feeling it. You know, I'm like, like, you know, what's going on? Like a little tired maybe or, or whatever. Force yourself to smile. Just remind yourself. Thank you for, like, I'm just thankful for this opportunity to play, you know, the game I love tonight. Like just when you're in a good mood, you're going to play better. That's the bottom line. Well, so you got new gear today, I did. and I know your gear, Brian's Custom Sports. Of course, we got to give some love to Chris Joswiak, who's one Jaws of the best. Man. Yeah, he's one of the best pro reps out there. Um, I noticed, and, and, and I know it's been in all your gear, but you've got the the hap, the have a purpose, yep. obviously from Bandits goaltending and in Jenkins and yep. Big E. Um, what does that mean to you? And is that one of those reminders to just go have fun? Or is that, are they totally separate? Can it be that reminder for you? Because we've seen guys write, saw Di Pietro. I don't know if you talked to him after the World Juniors. I know you guys are tight, but he had some messages in his blocker that, you know, helped him sort of find his focal point. Yeah. I mean, HAP means a lot to me um, on a lot of different scales, obviously. Ian being a good friend of mine um, and the tragedy that, you know, took place, obviously, at, that was a tough time for a lot of people, the hockey community in general. But the the HAP thing for me was, you know, Ian Ian was ahead of his time. Um, Ian Jenkins was ahead of his time in regards to, you know, he's going to play. He was signed on to play for the London Knights um, when we were 14, 15 years old. He was the guy. You know, everyone looked up to him as, you know, the next great thing. And he just worked. And it was a whole nother level with like, I feel like when you're, you know, 13, 14, you can work hard. And honestly, personally, I'm, I'll, I'll say it. I'm still working on this and, and making sure that it's consistent every day, but you can work as hard as you want, but if you don't have the attention to detail of what you're working on, then that work is not very useful. If I do, you know, an hour of high knees. I'm working really hard, but it's not helping me stop any pucks out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you're gonna, you're. I know Ian Clark is gonna drive that home for you big time. And that's a big thing with Clarky. And I remember one of my first skates during camp. Worked an hour with him one on one, and he told me he's like, "You do five good reps, and you do five okay reps. You might do them really good, like really hard. You could work really hard at five bad reps." But you just did no good reps. It adds out, right? Like so, if you do five good good ones, five bad ones. So it's attention to detail, and I feel looking back now that I'm a little bit more mature as far as my work habits go, which I'm still working on them. I'm not saying anything like that. But Ian was kind of like the first guy that was like every single puck he was trying to make the save the right way. It wasn't just about work, and it's not about just work. So that HAP have a purpose is. It's really important to me because it just gives you a reminder, you know, when you're out there, do it for a reason. Be intentional, you know, have a purpose in what you're doing. Don't just go out and do it or don't just go out and work hard. Like, think about what you're doing. Like, remind yourself of, you know, what you're working towards. So that's, a, that's something that I'll always carry with me for sure. That's a perfect lesson for, I think, whether you're playing peewee up to pros for every goaltender I, I out wish there. I, I wish I had someone telling me this when I was, you know, 10. Because I've always been a hard worker. You know, I'm always sweating and exhausted afterwards. But I'd, I'd be interested to see how many of my skates were, you know, intentional. And, I mean, who knows from a 10-year-old. But Well, it's, let's just say that 
hopefully there's a lot of 10 year olds and a lot of 10 year old parents that are going to hear this from you and they'll be ahead of the curve. Yeah. So, um, Thatcher, thank you very much for joining us, for sharing this story. Um, we sincerely appreciate it and best of luck moving forward with the Canucks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thatcher, Kevin, thank you. And also our thanks to the Canucks PR staff for clearing some space and allowing that conversation to occur. We at In Goal Radio have no issue putting in the request to conduct these types of interviews, but the reality is the media relations people with the respective clubs control the access, and we are extremely appreciative of their efforts they put in on our behalf. Demco wears Brian's equipment. He is very loyal to that brand. The story behind the relationship comes out in a conversation with Brian's pro rep, Chris Joswiak. It's one of the many areas that Kevin and David Hutchison cover in a discussion with the man they call Jaws. What's a pro rep? What's he do? And how do you become one? It's all right here. So here with Chris Joswiak from Brian's Custom Sports. And Jaws, one of the things we just heard from Thatcher Demko, who obviously up and coming goaltender, and pretty much ever since he popped on the scene, he's been a Brian's guy. Um, we didn't know why, where that started until we talked to him and he told a pretty good story about how when he was, you probably remember, 14 or 15, but playing for the LA Junior Kings, so maybe even earlier than that, uh, he'd outgrown, outgrown a set of Smith pads and was to the point where it wasn't safe and they just didn't have the money to buy some. So you remember stepping in and stepping up and the start of that relationship? Well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, I look forward to these conversations and everything else. So, um, yeah, reminiscing with Demco, I mean, yeah, looking back, you know, it was a unique situation where I was just starting with Brian's as well. And I actually got my start um, through Bandit Schooly School. And I was playing at Davenport University. I just graduated. And that's kind of how I got my job with Brian's. So, the goalie coaches, Joe and Stan over at Bandits, uh, they were working with Thatch and they're like, listen, we have this kid. He's going to be an absolute stud, um, you know, guaranteed, you know, this kid is going to be legit. You got to take care of him. His pads are, you know, up to his knees. You know, he's outgrown them tenfold. So you got to look after him, come up to Plymouth, you know, check him out and see if you have anything in the storage unit or at the factory that, you know, you can get this kid to wear because he's just, you know, he's unsafe out there. So um, I met with them, and, uh, yeah, we got them a set of Ray Emery. Um, they were from – we built them for an outdoor game for the uh, – I believe for the Flyers. So uh, they are just a Bucky retro set, and they were 36 plus 2. I think his set be- that he was wearing at the time was, you know, probably a 33-inch or so. Um, so he got them. He loved them. He thought the retro was so cool, and, uh, you know, they, they pretty much go with any team. So – um, and he's been in the gear ever since. So, you know, there was a brief stint in the USHL where they kind of put up a fuss and said, hey, you have to be in Reebok gear. So he was in a set of revokes, I think, for a little bit. But he did wear the the retro ones in the USHL for a bit until they, you know, gave him too much, uh, you know, complaining and all that. So, um, yeah, ever since he's been loyal to us. And, and we love that, you know, growing with a, a goalie and kind of following him through the ranks and through the success and yeah, he's been, you know, probably, you know, him and Halak have been my two 
guys that have been with me since day one. And, you know, now it's been almost, I'm going on my 10th year with Brian. So, um, you know, it's, it's great to see him now flourish and, and the NHL and, and stay with their gear all the way. So it's, it's been a nice growth with him. So now how'd you get started with Brian? So give us a little bit of your background. Cause I think everybody knows who you are, a pro rep, but, or at least everyone in the goalie industry, but you're also a goalie and you still play at a competitive level. And what drew you to this, this gig? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, my senior year over at Davenport University, I was playing over there and uh, I was wearing Brian's. And like I said, uh, you know, I was graduating. I had a sports marketing degree. I, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. Um, and Joe Messina is like, hey, I think I got a gig for you with Brian's. And, you know, I started doing grassroots marketing stuff with them, dealing with the goalie schools. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I was going to play, you know, a little semi-pro or whatever else, just waste some time until I figured out what I was going to do. And Brian hired me on full time. You know, they they were, uh, you know, their, their pro rep was leaving. And as time has went on, I've just taken on new roles. I also do all our social media stuff since, you know, we were the first company to really post pictures on Facebook and, and do those factory shots. And now, I mean, you've seen how our Instagram and everything else has grown and, and other companies have kind of replicated that. So I've just taken on new roles as time went on. And it's, uh, you know, I think other brands, reps are a little envious of, you know, I have more involvement in the design and product development. And, and that's a real key feature of, you know, our brand is, you know, we don't have one voice. It's it's a culminative, uh, you know, group effort. And, uh, you know, we have a team of, you know, probably six to seven guys that really have a strong influence and, and it's grown our innovation and our product for sure. So, Josh Hutch here, if we could just step it back a little bit. I think uh, Kevin's right. A lot of folks in the goalie world understand what a pro rep is, but I expect we've probably got a lot of people listening to this as well that aren't really familiar. I mean, uh, intuitively, everybody knows that uh, guys like Kalak and Demko aren't going to the local goalie store to pick out their gear, but but people probably don't understand that relationship between the company and the and the goaltender. So maybe you could give us just a little bit of an idea about um, what you do day to day, week to week. Uh, it, it's really interesting to hear about your your involvement at the at Brian's with with things beyond the pros. But but what does a pro rep in the game generally do? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, my job's drastically changed in terms of the pro rep side because, you know, like I said, you know, nine years ago, we had one pro, you know, in the NHL and a couple minor leaguers. And, and now, obviously, you know, we have about 12 guys in the NHL and, and, you know, we have guys overseas and guys coming up through the ranks. So uh, my job, you know, every scenario with every player is different. You know, quite a few of them I consider really good friends Others, I consider I'm their psychologist, and uh, other guys, I just am someone that they place their order through. So it's uh, every every player is unique in that form, and, and we, you know, the conversations are totally different with each guy. So um, my day-to-day, -day, you know, thing is basically, you know, since our factory is uh, based in Kingsville, Ontario, um, I'm not there every day. I'm based in the Detroit area, so... I go there every one to two, you know, every one to three weeks, I'd say to check in and we have meetings and, and look at what's going on and, and all that, or if there's something I have to really be there for. Um, but other than that, I work from home or travel. So, uh, you know, it has its perks in, in that frame. 
And then on the player basis, on the pro side, you know, the nice thing is, you know, I'm 15 minutes away from uh, the Little Caesars Arena where the Wings play at. So, like, in the month of February, Sparks, uh, Nilsson, Anderson, Dell, um, all those guys are coming through. So it's nice where, you know, I can catch up with them, go down to the rink to um, the pregame skate or their practice and uh, check in on the gear, check in with the equipment managers. And uh, if, they're, if they're in the night before, I'll usually take them out to dinner and, uh, you know, catch up with the guys then. So um, and then, you know, a lot of it's just through text. You know, I think so much of this business is just text messages now and, you know, a couple of phone calls here and there. But. Uh, you know, like I've told you guys in the past, yeah, like with some of these guys, if they're having a, you know, rough patch or something else, I mean, I'm, you know, sometimes a, more a psychologist than a equipment rep. Um, but that's just part of the job. I think a lot of times when things aren't going well for guys, you know, the first thing they can look at is their gear, you know, and they all know it's not really the gear's fault, but as you've seen, you know, a couple guys in different brands this year have switched and it's just to kind of, get a fresh breath of, you know, air and just kind of change it up and hope that it's going to kickstart some kind of, you know, uphill trend that, uh, you know, to improve their game. So that's where the equipment thing is always funny with those pro guys. So. Well, hey, I think we've all, you know, let one go in and we've given our glove the good hard stare down. So it must be nice when you can just call somebody up and say, give me a new one. It must be the bloody glove, right? <laughs> um. So different guys probably have different levels of understanding and different involvement in terms of tweaking their gear, modifying some of the specs. Now, what I found interesting, and, and I've seen this trend growing, is there's a lot of younger guys that you know, I, I'm not quite sure is the answer when I ask them about their gear. You know, like uh, you'll have to talk to, well, Thatcher Demko. You'll have to talk to Jaws when I asked about his setup because I think uh, the new one that came in, I noticed optic glove and genetic pads and blockers. So let's start with let's start with Dem- Demko. What's uh, what is the setup? How does he like his pads? Because he didn't really have an answer for us himself. And how does that vary from guy to guy? Like, I mean, I'm guessing some guys are meticulous to the nth degree. And then other guys, like you said, just one setup after another without much tweaks. Yeah, I think there's two opposite ends of the spectrum there. Um, you know, you got guys like Garrett Sparks that's highly involved and meticulous in terms of aesthetics and, you know, all the specs and everything. I mean, his orders, each one is almost dreadful to deal with because he wants every little stitch and every little piece a certain way. And then, yeah, you have guys like Demco that are the complete opposite and they just entrust me and, you know, knowing what they need and, and uh, handling all that stuff for him. So he doesn't have to think about it. Um, so yeah, so like Demco, basically a stock genetic um, IV pad, which is our newest model. The blocker is a stock genetic as well, and then an optic glove. You know, and I think a lot of people they see our goalies like you know I would say you know look at other goalies and other brands, and you're going to see them always wearing the same line. You know, the same goalies will wear the velocity pad. You know, for countless years in a row, and everyone always asks me like you know, why do the, the Brian's goalies mostly switch to the new model every year? And it's just, you know, with us, we're just trying to progress every year and push the envelope and, and guys believe in our stuff. Uh, I don't think technically, you know, any pad is truly a hybrid pad or truly a butterfly with ours other than, I mean, the optic is pretty much designed for more of that boxy kind of feel, but 
I mean, the genetic, you can really build around any guy and, and it's worked for pretty much everyone. So, um, yeah, I mean, really Demko's pad is, uh, really stock, stock, uh, genetic. And, uh, with him, it's just about the graphics. So, you know, with this last, uh, you know, for the last, actually probably the last three or four years, he's been wanting to do that kind of Eagle Robert Ash kind of style. Um, look, he's just really big into stripes. And we've always kind of got him away from that and did something else. And he keeps coming back to it. So this time it was kind of funny because he started off with this design that he drew. And it was had some like squiggly lines in it. And it didn't look anything like this design. But it had some of the features. But then he kept wanting tweaks, tweaks, tweaks. And it got to the point that it was that design. I go, you know what? I, I realize what you just did. You tricked me into, you know, doing this eagle design for you. He's like, oh, well, you kind of, but you know, so it just kind of evolved into that. But it, it looks sharp, and and as you know, and I know that you're gonna probably cover it with him and all that is, you know, with Vancouver and the Ian Clark, you know, the goalie coach thing is, you know, they do believe that you know you want to have a white frame around things, so it's not so defined and and all that. And I know you're gonna go, you know, in depth with that. So with him, it does pose challenges for the colors and and trying to make a graphic look good because you are under certain restrictions. So, um, what's happening? Yeah. Sorry, what's happening when that design comes into you? How does it transition from from design on paper from him uh, to the pad back at the shop? Yeah, I mean, I'll, again, uh, every scenario is different. Um, when it comes to designs, basically one of three people do it. Either myself, um, our head designer at the factory Rio who doesn't get enough credit in the, in the hockey industry, but I think he's the best designer possible. Um, and then also, you know, sometimes I'll outsource, uh, Brennan, uh, Brennan Rudd as well, who's, you know, the goalie customizer on Instagram. So it all depends. So with that, that's something that I, I did directly with him. So he, he sent me the sketch and I'll go on to Photoshop and start mocking up the designs and, you know, 10 tweaks later, um, we come up with the the final graphics. So you get you getting guys sending you stuff on napkins over the years. Like what's the, what's the best sort of original source of a design that you've gotten in your career? Oh well, uh, Vasilevsky sent the uh, lightning bolt design and I think a napkin before, which was the one that he wore in the playoffs that one year. Um, r- lately, I mean Garrett Sparks. I mean he's an artist, so I mean the designs that he comes up with. He does full colored pencil with shading and gradients and all kinds of stuff. It, I mean, it actually looks like, like something that you could frame on the wall. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, he literally puts probably six hours into each sketch. So his are pretty detail oriented. And then uh, like the last one, uh, Georgiev set that I think we just posted on Instagram yesterday um, with like the triangle shape. He did that. He did a design on his iPad and sent it over to me just a rough sketch just to get the concept. Um, but he was trying to kind of match like the look of the blue block and the red outlines on on the shoulders of the Rangers Jersey. So I think those are going to look really sharp, uh, when he's in the net with those. So, so Garrett Sparks is basically every young goaltender out there still, eh? still doing all that work to design, you know, sketching it out in class and stuff like that. It's funny, you know, cause I, I mean, I'm the same way. And the funny thing is, you know, I was drawing sketches of goalie pads when I was nine years old and I look and, you know, 
you know, almost 23 years later, I'm doing the same thing for my job. So I always reflect back on that and see how funny it was that it's like destiny that this is my job because, you know, in second grade, I'm sitting in class just doodling goalie pads all day long. And, and literally right now, I mean, we're working on new stuff for next year and that's what I'm doing at home is doodling and trying to figure out the next graphics and all that. So I always think back how, you know, that's probably the coolest thing about my job is it must be something I truly love because, you know, I've been doing it since I was eight or nine years old, you know, so. Now, what about what about on the spec side and uh, personal preference in terms of what guys like? Like you said, I know most most Brian's guys are in stock pads. Maybe Craig Anderson's strapping's unique. A couple examples here and there. But when you transition a new guy, what's that process like? Because I remember, like Robin Laner, when he I remember watching him in his old Vaughn pads, and we had some photos, and and the boot of that pad would quite literally look like it had melted over the top of his skate. Now, people have probably read it on Ingle before, but like Robin is a toe pusher. He doesn't use the whole blade of his skate to push from his knees. It literally is like a, almost like a figure skater with a toe pick. Like he just pushes around with the toe. And for him, like he just wants that break, that, that boot as like buttery soft. And it always used to amaze me to watch him. And then when he had to transition into your gear, like that couldn't have been an easy process to get him comfortable because that's not normally how you guys would build it. So walk me through what that was like. Yeah. I mean, you know, last year with Robin was quite unique. Um, you know, from the beginning, like, you know, normally with a goalie, you know, I have all summer to dial in the specs like this year with, uh, Nilsson. Um, you know, we have all this time to make a prototype set, a sample set, and see if they're happy, make tweaks, so on. With Robin last year, we sent him a set of pads. And, you know, I found out on, you know, NHL Network from Kevin Weeks saying that, you know, Robin said he's changing into Brian's. And that was the first time I heard. And he called me right after. He's like, I don't know if you watch NHL Network, but I said I'm wearing Brian's. I'm like, well, we have a week before the season now, and we better get going on some gear. So uh, it was a real unique situation from the beginning. And, uh, you know, with him, with his pad, I mean, well, you know, his Vons, I mean, the, the top look melted. I mean, the whole pad, I mean, people don't realize how big and strong he is. And I remember back when I just started at Brian's, I was trying to get him into our gear right when he was going into the AHL. And I remember people just saying how strong he is and, you know, how he just screws up all the creases from, you know, how powerful his drives are. So, um, you know, he puts a lot of pressure on his gear. So he's a unique um, animal out there, you know. So uh, we started with a stock optic pad last year and he kept calling and saying he needs changes and we'd build another set and he'd call and need changes. He just wasn't getting comfortable in the gear last year and he was really forcing it. And it was a real big struggle. I mean, at one point he was cutting the boots off the pads and they were in two pieces and he was wearing them with like tape on them. And it was insane. I've never seen anything like that. And basically he came to the conclusion that he just wanted, you know, a true, like segmented boot where it was almost like two pieces. So it was like basically hanging on by lace and uh, the outside material. So it was really unique. It was a struggle. He went back and forth in gear last year. And, and then this summer, you know, he was going through a lot, obviously. And, you know, his story was on the athletic and, 
you know, he was in rehab and really knew, no one knew where he was. I, you know, the Vaughn guys, Adam was asking if I heard from him and no one really heard from him. We didn't know what he was going to do for gear. We didn't know where he was going to play. And all of a sudden, one day he called me and he goes, he goes, Jazz, uh, I'm going to wear Brian's I, 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 if you guys will have me. And uh, he goes, it's going to be a unique story for me this year. And I think you're going to be really, you know, it's going to be powerful. And I think you're going to be impressed. And and I'm going to prove a lot of people wrong this year. And like he was saying things with a lot of confidence. And he he knew where he was going to take his game this year, I think. And he knew he had all the tools and, and all the help that he needed to succeed. And this year with gear, it's been incredibly easy. He's been in the same set all season. He hasn't said one peep about issues or anything else. And yeah, I mean, basically he's been a stock genetic pad with a, a softer boot. So that's, that's the only tweak. And we kind of, we take a little bit off his boot too. It's not like the full size, but I think we take off like a quarter inch um, just to give a smaller size boot and then we soften it up. So other than that, his, his gear is really stock as well. And, and uh, we just finished his second set that he'll probably he'll work those in i mean a lot of guys will go right into a new set that day um him he'll he'll probably break those in for a good month before he wears them and i don't think he was going to order another set of pats but i think now they have the hopes of playoffs and all that so i mean there was i don't think there's any way an nhl guy could go through only one set of pads you know all the way through playoffs and all it's just the game's too taxing now and all these practices and how hard the guys shoot People don't realize how how much these guys, regardless of brand, go through equipment these days. Well, and and he's, I mean, he like you said, he's, I mean, there's no other way to describe it. He's a beast physically. He's so big and so strong and so powerful. The amount of like the, the idea of him getting through a season on one set of pads just seems incomprehensible to me. Just how much weight and force is coming down on them on a day to day basis. And speaking of big guys. Andres Nilsson impressed us here in Vancouver with a pretty wicked set throwback to when he was 14-15, the beast pads. And of course, as you said, because he was a Vancouver Canuck, he couldn't have the dark outer roll. Um, moves to Ottawa. What does it take? How long does it take for you guys to get a new set ready when a guy gets traded like that? Get it? I don't think a lot of people realize it's not just a matter of having it. You, you can't just finish it and send it straight to the guy. It's got to go through Kay Whitmore and the NHL offices for measurements and approval. What is that process like? How long does that take when a guy switches teams? Yeah, I mean, first I want to say, you know, I get a lot of heat from, retail. you know, I'm so accessible. So I get a lot of heat from retail customers uh, messaging me all the time. Oh, now that Nilsson got traded, you know, that's going to set my gear back, you know, a couple weeks. And, you know, now he just jumped ahead of me in line. It doesn't work like that. I have allocated production slots. So, you know, if that happens it goes right in but it's it's not taking away from anything that we're doing currently retail or other pro um but if we need to rush a set it can get done in you know 40 24 to 48 hours like probably you know two work days just to get all the embroidery done all the cutting in one day and then the next day you sew it and put it all together so it takes about two working days to get the gear done and then from there, it does have to go to K to get approved. And, you know, that can take anywhere from a day to a couple weeks. But K and the NHL are really good if you give them a heads up. Um, and they, I mean, they obviously know the situation. So if they see a guy that, you know, is getting traded, they'll get it in and out the same day. 
um, and that's feasible. So yeah, like a guy like Nilsson, um, we made the pads, you know, we got the order. The unfortunate thing is we got it right as our plant. It was, we were still closed for a holiday. Um, and then we opened up on Monday, we built the gear, it got to the NHL on Wednesday. And then he got the set when they got back from a West coast trip. So, um, yeah, I mean, the turnaround could be about a week, you know, is that's pretty fast. Um, I know he still didn't have his sticks or, or helmet, which, you know, do not have to go to the league. So he's not completely matching out there yet, but, um, hopefully after the all-star break, he'll be full Ottawa gear. So, but yeah, for us, it's, it's no challenge. I mean, I give praise to Rio, um, for getting all that stuff done, especially like, custom graphics like his b set there is a lot of detail to it um that's a lot of work to get done in you know about a day so i give those guys a props it, it doesn't make my life any harder but uh definitely the guys at the factory it, it's to cut all that stuff is pretty you know in, you know difficult and intricate so it is and and we've been lucky enough to visit the factory and and really appreciated that opportunity to see what's happening behind the scenes and and, and I bet every Brian's fan wish wish they could do the same thing. Can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on in the background because you you've really established yourself as the custom company and you're producing anything for anyone and and it's uh what's happening that allows you to stay nimble and what allows you to be so uh responsive in that respect? Yeah, I mean, we have our own little niche, you know, we call ourselves the custom goal company. And I really don't think, you know, there's any other brand that can do what we can do on a day to day basis. I think you see most companies have, you know, their plants overseas. And really, if they have an office in Canada, they're just doing some pro gear or just some product development. Um, so, you know, other than one other brand, we're really the only ones making retail gear in Canada and, uh, you know, making it fully customizable with graphics and, and all that. So there is a lot more for, for a guy like Rio. That's, that's why I praise him so highly, you know, on the, you know, being a designer in this uh, industry, but he's also running the production floor. He's doing, you know, all our custom graphics. He's doing all the cutting on all that stuff. He's dealing with all our pro orders and with K and everything. He's got way more on his plate than any other designer. So um, I try to take as much off of him on the design um, aspect as much as I can. But yeah, our, our, I mean, how we're able to produce Canadian-made custom graphic gear with an eight-week turnaround time is, is pretty insane. And I mean, I think that, you know, moving forward, you look at the future and you see, you know, what other brands are doing in terms of you know, screening and everything. A lot of that is, you know, to cut down production time. So that's where we have to look forward at the future and, and figure out how we can reduce our production time even faster. Because I think that the the, the next trend in goalie equipment is going to be getting that like pro level turnaround time where, you know, NHL guys are getting stuff in one to two weeks. I think retail consumers want custom gear, but they want it almost instantly. So um, you know, and that's a battle when you're doing, you know, a lot of custom one-off designs and everything on the, on the showroom floor every day. So it's, uh, it's going to be a task, but we continually look at it and, you know, it, it makes it even harder that every year we're trying to make more intricate and more, you know, richer gear. Um, we're never trying to cut costs in terms of our, our product. We, I mean, every year we're spending more money to have the best product possible. So that also adds production time. So it is difficult, but 
you know, it's a unique factory and, and, you know, most of the people that work there are goalies and, and we're real passionate about it. So they get it done one way or another. So. All right, Jaws, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day and sharing a uh, life behind the scenes for uh, a pro rep. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. We look Perfect. Thanks, Jaws. Take care. There's a lot there. Thank you, gentlemen. How many of you really can relate to that story about Jaws, and we spell it J-O-Z, drawing goalies as a youngster? Now, I always had trouble with a glove. It ended up looking like a fish. But it's also one of the reasons why I still have knee rolls in my pads. I love the traditional look that goes back to those sketches in elementary school. Listening to those two conversations, I'm reminded of how similar goalies really are. Styles and personalities vary. But the root passion for the position is a big part of all of us. Old guys still hanging in there on the Tuesday or the Saturday morning skates to kids making their first glove saves and all the professionals scattered around the world who are in between. Thanks to Thatcher Demko and Chris Joswiak for their time. Brian's should be commended for their commitment to domestic manufacturing and also their custom graphics. On behalf of Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio. Click the subscribe button and please let us know what you think. Until the next time, keep the toe up and the heel down. Kick, save, and a beauty.